If you have your Bibles, we are looking at Lamentations chapter 4 this morning. Lamentations chapter 4 and um, Judah, Jerusalem is in a an incredible mess. Uh, they have uh, forsaken the God of the Bible and after 800 years of God's patience, uh, God has done to Jerusalem uh, and Judah what he said he was going to do. And uh, and so as we read the book of Lamentations, Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah. It's a it's a poem in uh, in literacy, in nature. And uh, chapters one and two, he's writing from the perspective of uh, Jerusalem and uh, what the people of Jerusalem are, are feeling, are going through. And in chapter three, we looked at uh, uh, Jeremiah's own life. Uh, Jeremiah is writing from his perspective. And uh, we last week talked about uh, when the innocent suffer. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. He was doing what God had called him to do. And yet in that calling, in that lifestyle of obedience, Jeremiah himself uh, suffered. And uh, last week we looked at why uh, God allows the innocent to suffer. For Jerusalem, they weren't innocent. And they realized they weren't innocent. Uh, In chapter 1, they say that all these things are coming upon us because we have rebelled against the word of God. And so Judah understands why they have been experiencing the wrath and the discipline of God in this in this book. But the, this morning we are going to uh, continue in our subject on suffering and uh, what we go through. And you know when we when we suffer, um, one of two things can happen to us. Uh, we can draw closer to God or we can draw further from God. We can, we can become better because the suffering that God has allowed us to go through or we can become bitter. And you've probably heard me talk about, uh, the root of bitterness. And, uh, we're gonna be looking at the root of bitterness this morning and when you think of the root of bitterness, it's probably not what you've been told it is. And one of the reasons why is because I've not taught you properly. We're going to be looking this morning at what the root of bitterness actually means from Scripture. But uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, and we're going to look at this more in just a moment, but uh, Hebrews 12:15 says, "See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled." So what is the root of bitterness? Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and, and how to avoid the root of bitterness. But as we come to Lamentations, we come to Lamentations chapter 4, and we've looked at all the devastation and utter devastation that uh, has taken place in Jerusalem and with the, the people of God, they are there because of a root of bitterness. This is why Judah is in this mess. And so number one, when we, when we look at this, this question or answer the question, why is Judah in this math, mess and the root of bitterness? It's because they have a false security. They have a false security. They have had an attitude of arrogance towards sin. And they have, they have struggled with this, uh, their entire life or their their entire identity. They've had this sense of privilege. 
you know, that we are the covenant people of God and God is always going to be there for us. And, and so we're just going to do our own thing because God is going to cover us. And the Bible describes this as the root of bitterness. Moses warns the people to beware of a root of bitterness. So as we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, and this idea of the root of bitterness, it originates in Deuteronomy chapter 29. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 29, actually chapters 28 through 32, uh, these are Moses' words to Israel before they're about to enter the promised land. And you need to go back and you need to read verses 28, chapters 28 through 32 because Moses' words are so prophetic. You know, it's amazing what God says in that passage of scripture. He says, I know that you're going to rebel against me. I know that, that, uh, your enemies are going to carry you off into captivity and you are going to return. God knows all these things. He knows the, the hearts of his people, warts and all, and yet he loves them. And that doesn't mean that he condones their sin. There's going to be huge consequences for their sin. But again, God is sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. And through it all, he has a plan. But here we see in Deuteronomy chapter 29, Moses' words to the children of Israel before they're about to go into the promised land. He says this, Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall be safe. Though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart, this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. In other words, God is saying it's going to be lead to the sweeping of away of both the innocent and the guilty. When we look at the root of bitterness, it's not that the root is bit bitter. But it's what the root produces. It produces the fruit of bitterness. And what that root is, is that even though I'm a child of God, I'm a child of the covenant, and I am blessed, I can still do my own thing. And when we have that kind of attitude, Moses is saying, be aware, be warned. There is going to be strict consequences. None of us are that secure. None of us are immune from God's discipline in our life, even though we may be a child of God, we cannot afford to, to make the case or convince ourselves, well, God is going to forgive me. Everything is going to be okay if I make this decision. That's where Jerusalem was. That was what was in their hearts. Jerusalem thought they could do no wrong. Look at chapters, uh, look at chapter four, and let me just read some passages, some verses here in chapter four. 
Verse 1. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. What's, what's he referring to here? What's Jerusalem referring to here? He's re, they're, refer, they're, they're, they're talking about the temple. I mean, this magnificent structure that, that pointed to the glory of God, the, the holy of holies where the presence of God, uh, was, was 24-7. You know, this is God's house. This is God's temple. Nothing is ever going to happen to this place. And here, in Lamentations chapter 4, that place has been destroyed. That place has been annihilated. Verse 2, the precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. I mean, Jerusalem was experiencing the finest blessings of God. I mean, there was, there was a wall around the city of Jerusalem. They were well fortified. They were well protected. And yet, their lives now are in an ash heap. Her princes, verse 7, were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral, and beauty of their form was like sapphire. I mean, these these people were as healthy as an ox. And yet now Jerusalem lies in ruins, and their finest young men, especially, have been hauled off to Babylon. Look at verse 12. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. There was just a false sense of security. They've convinced themselves that they are God's covenant people. And nothing will ever befall them. They have misinterpreted the patience and long-suffering of God. When Moses said, be warned of the, the, the root of bitterness, that was 800 years earlier. And there were a lot of things that have uh, happened in the history of uh, Judah, especially in the, and uh, their, their, uh, their relatives to the north in Israel, in the, in the northern kingdom. A lot of things, a lot of consequences for their poor choices. But they, but because they were still God's people, because there was the temple and God's presence was among them, there was this false security that everything would always be okay. And it didn't, did not turn out that way. So this is the root of bitterness. You know, it's not, a root of bitterness isn't something that just kind of festers, uh, in our soul, in our spirit, in our heart. And, uh, and, uh, when things don't go our way, we just suddenly bl- blow up. That's what I've taught. That, that's how I've taught the root of bitterness in the past. But that's not what, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, and that's not what God says through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 29. The root of bitterness is an attitude, an arrogant attitude of the heart that is trampling the grace of God. And Moses says, be aware of that. And if we go back to the book of Hebrews, If you were to read the book of Hebrews, 
We cannot afford, church, to presume upon the grace of God. We must be vigilant against sin, against this heart attitude. Four different times in the book of Hebrews, the writer warns against neglecting our great salvation and having this bitter root in our hearts. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Chapter 6. Chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, go to chapter 10. And let me read verses um, 26 through 29 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29. The Bible says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who sets, who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be delivered by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood blood of the covenant by which he has sacrificed and and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Folks, we cannot afford this root of bitterness in our hearts that tramples the grace of God. We must guard against it. We cannot afford to trust holiness lightly and presume upon God's grace. And this is what Paul is referring to in Hebrews chapter 12. The context of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, is talking about Esau. Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac. Esau was um, in line to... um, to receive the full inheritance because that's what's hap- that's what happens with f- firstborn children. And yet God in his sovereignty knew that, that God was going to choose Jacob. But Esau didn't know this at the time. And uh, we know the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob had uh, prepared for some stew and Esau had been out hunting and he came back home and he was famished and he, he really wanted that stew and, and, uh, and uh, Jacob uh, deceived Esau and said, well, I will give you this stew if you give me your, um, your, your inheritance. And Esau <clears throat> said, okay. I'll give you my inheritance. I'll give you my birthright for that cup of stew. Stew. But he was treating that inheritance, that birthright, casually. He didn't really mean it in his heart. He knew that he, it was still his birthright. But in the end, we realized that uh, Esau had lost that birthright. And that's what... That's what Paul is referring to, the writer of Hebrews is referring to in chapter 12. Esau was presuming on the grace of God in his life. He was treating that birthright casually. He had a haughty, arrogant attitude about that birthright. Look at verses 14 through 17. It says this, Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Don't trample the grace of God in your life, Christian. If you live without peace, if you don't live a holy life, people are not going to see the Lord Jesus in your life. 
avoid that kind of lifestyle. Verse goes on to say, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. When it comes to the grace of God in our life, Christian, we cannot afford to treat it uh, casually. We cannot afford to not pursue the holiness of God in our own life. And how many believers have convinced themselves? And I'm in this category too. Aw, shucks. If I just do this one thing, you know what? God's going to forgive me. That's a root of bitterness. That we can't allow room for in our hearts and lives. I want to share a testimony this morning. Uh, this man, man's name is Dutch. And uh, I came across this... Uh, uh, this uh, website called I Am Second, and it's got um, a wealth of uh, believers, Christians, um, with uh, testimonies of who Jesus is in 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 their life, and this is one of those. And uh, and so it's about eleven minutes long, but I think you're going to appreciate his story this morning. So let's turn off the lights and let's watch his testimony this morning. You know, I think about my young life growing up. The one thing that always sticks out to me is how desperately I wanted to have the love of my father. Growing up, I was always angry. And anger for me always turned into violence. And violence always, it always ended up with me getting into trouble. I started getting involved in real low-level sale of marijuana. Low-level sale of marijuana turned into pounds of marijuana, and pounds of marijuana turned into cocaine. Started dating a former girlfriend, and the next thing I know, we're pregnant with a son, and I'm just a teenager with really no prospect of anything positive in life. Colleges wasn't an option, and all of a sudden, my dreams went from playing sports to being a kingpin, a drug entrepreneur. Something that I thought was for losers, I now somehow morally justified because I didn't use drugs. I can remember going into Harlem, New York and being the only person on the block that looked like me. and Going into elevators with men with Uzi machine guns and shotguns. And I can remember the adrenaline rush that I got. There wasn't a fear, it was a a sort of a rite of passage that I was experiencing by going into these tough and possibly harmful environments. And I can remember going to the back room and seeing a man sit at the table where I would drop a bag full of money. And I would walk away with a bag full of cocaine. I would start taking that cocaine and I would begin chopping it up, a saran wrap it around my legs, all the way up to my torso, put on a double-breasted suit with a silk tie, put on a pair of Italian loafers, grab a briefcase, and I'd walk straight through the airport metal detection, daring somebody to stop me, because I was angry. What's amazing about the world of illegal narcotics and drug entrepreneurship is that I didn't trust anybody. Yeah, I can remember chasing my best friend down the street with a baseball bat and trying to break his ribs when I finally caught him because I found out that he had went into my son's mother's pocketbook and had stolen from her. It's all an illusion. And so I never had anyone that I felt was truly 
a friend when I was in that world. I flew from New York to Atlanta. I got in my car and I was driving back up the coast and a state trooper pulled me over. And when he came to the driver's side door of the car and he had a nine miller pointed straight at my head. And he said, boy, put your hands out the window of this car and climb out onto the ground or I'm going to blow your head off. I put my hands out the window and I climbed out the car and I laid on the ground of the interstate. The police officer would come and he'd, he'd tie my hands behind my back as well as my feet together. He would find blocks of cocaine in the trunk of my car and this time I knew I had been caught red-handed. And I knew I was going to jail. I remember watching as my son was born, just thinking to myself, I'm always going to be here for you, son. I want you to know that I'll always be here and I'll never leave you. So at two o'clock in the morning, I called home to the one person who always, always took my phone call and always, always got me out of trouble. Mothers worry about the children. My mother who saved me from everything couldn't save me this time. But she cried out to somebody who could. She looked up into heaven. And she said, God, if you exist, will you please help my boy? The next morning I woke up, an inmate came and he punched me right in the square at my back, kind of sending a message to everybody in there, I've run this block, nobody's coming in here to take over my thing. And when he did, I grabbed a food tray and I tried to break his head off into the wall of the prison. That was natural for me. I was angry and anger always turns into violence for me and violence always ends up with me getting in trouble then something very unusual happened they sent the man who hit me back to his cell in isolation and normally that's where I'm supposed to go too but they look at me and call me by my last name they say yo Veneta you want to go to church church was a six by nine prison cell there was one other inmate who was sitting in there with me. He handed me a little small brown book. It's called a Gideon Bible. And he looked at me on the floor of that prison and he said eight words that changed my life forever. He said, you look burdened. Can I pray for you? I don't remember the words of that prayer, but I do remember it ended in Jesus' name. And as I would walk out of that six by nine prison cell, the other inmate who was with me, Andrew, had asked me about my son. And I told him I have a one and a half year old son. And I made him a promise that I would never leave him that he would never have to grow up not knowing who his father was. And here I was doing to him the very same thing that I promised him I would never do. Well, I didn't realize how much trouble that I was in until I go from the prison to the courthouse to find out how much time I'm looking at. And I remember sitting there and there was a bunch of guys that were attached to me with chains. When their name was announced, they would say, well, you're looking at six months probation. You're looking at three years. You're looking at a year and a half. And then they announced my name. And they told me that I was looking at 25 to 40 years in prison 
And I remember hearing the guys say, man, what did you do? And all I could think of was my little boy growing up not knowing who his father was. Reality for me had set in, so I started to pray. And I remember the only prayer that I had made to God wasn't that I wanted him to get me out of what I had gotten myself into. My only prayer was, before I go away, let me go and say goodbye to my son. I didn't ask him for justice, but I cried out for mercy. I would then call my attorney. He says, you're never going to guess the news that I have for you. I said, what? The DA said that they're going to null pros my charges, which means you've been arrested, but you're never going to go to trial. You're never going to face conviction. And 12 to 24 years that I was guilty of was wiped away. I couldn't believe it. I ended up doing a total of two and a half years in prison. That's for every set of charges that I had. And all I can remember is him looking at me and the smile that he got on his face when he would see his daddy and lifting him up and holding him and feeling his little feet dangling from me and him trying to tell me everything that he had done since I'd seen him last. And I remember just the great joy that I got in hearing my son talk to me and knowing that my son loves me and knowing that my son misses me. And for me, it just translated into how God must feel when I reach out to him. On my way here today, my son writes to me in a text, Pop, I'm proud of you. And I'm glad that you allow me to be a part of your story. And I say, son, I wouldn't have a story if it wasn't for you. The benefit for me of being a father is it gives me the desire to be a better man and it gives me the desire to know that I have to live a life that is an example for my own son. My name is Dutch Bradley and I am second. thought he was invincible. Jerusalem, people of Judah thought that they were invincible. Nobody could touch them. They were in a covenant relationship with God. And yet God disciplined the people of Judah. And his discipline was harsh, and we've been looking at uh, how harsh that discipline was. Maybe you feel as if your life has been invincible, and yet you've been experiencing the discipline of God in your life. How do you avoid? How do you avoid this attitude of arrogance? This this root of bitterness and moving forward. Well, number one, you cry out for the mercy of God. There is restoration. There is forgiveness. And there is a God who loves and wants to receive you back into the fellowship of his presence once again. You know, I love being a granddad. And I love the age of my children or my grandkids when, uh, you know, they've, they wanted me to pick them up. And Macy's at that age right now. 
you know, Macy will come to my feet and, and she'll say, Pa, and she'll do this. She'll just have her arms out to, to her shoulders and she'll, and she'll do this and she wants me to pick her up. And as I pick her up and as I hold her, you know, I get so much joy and satisfaction in embracing her. And you know what? That's what our Heavenly Father is like as well. When when we're experiencing the consequences of our choices and when we cry out for mercy, we have a Heavenly loving Father who wants to pick us up in His arms and enjoy us being with Him once again. Cry out for mercy, friend. He is there to receive you. And that's what we've seen in Lamentation, in the book of Lamentations. God is there. God wants to forgive and God wants to restore. You don't have to live a life of bondage forever. Forgiveness, repentance can set you free. But you've got to cry out, reach out for his mercy. The second thing you need to do to avoid a root of bitterness is that you need to pursue a righteous life daily. Pursue righteousness daily. Spend time with your loving Heavenly Father. Be dependent upon this grace of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that God has given you. And pursue relationships with other brothers or sisters in Christ. Live in the light and not the darkness. Our men just... um, Completed a uh, a, uh, a simulcast with uh, Johnny Hunt over the weekend. What what an awesome time we had together! And uh, you know, it just once again reminded us that God doesn't want us to live in isolation. God doesn't want us to live separated from Him or separated from each other. He wants us to pursue Him. He wants us to live a holy, righteous life. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us the church. He's given us lots of resources and tools to live a righteous, holy life. And we have a responsibility as God's people to pursue that daily. Do you have tools that will help you in your in your relationship, your walk with God. You know, I mentioned the Devo Hub. We have this Devo Hub, this 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 um, app for your mobile device that you can download, and you can, when you're on the church property, you can activate your device. Don't download the the app and try to activate it from your house. No, you've got to be on the church campus. But once you get it activated, you can use it anywhere. But there are some great devotional tools there that will help you, encourage you in your walk with God. There's a men's devotion. There's a great family devotion. Uh, parents, if you're having a hard time, you know, knowing what to do for a family devotion, uh, there's that, there's a great tool in this Devo Hub. There's one for, for women. There's one for couples. Take advantage of that resource. It's free and it's provided by the church. Men, if you didn't have an opportunity to go to the the simulcast this weekend, there's another app that you can download, and it's called it's called Real Momentum, and uh, it has a, it's that, there's an archive of uh, other uh, men's simulcasts that uh, Johnny Hunt has put together. Put together the Johnny's been doing these uh, men's conferences for 25 years. This was the 25th anniversary. But for the last three or four years, uh, they've archived those uh, conferences. You can go to uh, Real Momentum and download that app and have these resources available to you. We are without excuse. We live in a day and age that we have so many different versions of the Bible 
And uh, there are so many Bible translations and and uh, Bible study guides accompanied with the scripture that will help you and encourage you in your walk with God. And we just need to take advantage of these. But we need to pursue righteousness daily. And number three, to avoid a root of bitterness in our own heart is we need to take sin seriously. There are consequences for being disobedient to God. Judah treated their covenantal relationship casually. And in their casualness, they lost so much. We don't know the individual stories of the people in Jerusalem, in the land of Judah. But there were countless stories of of families whose children were ripped from parents' arms and hauled off to Babylon. And the reason why that happened was because they treated their relationship with God as casual. They didn't think anything would affect them. The consequences of sin is serious. And you might be here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, pastor, you know, my life, my, my choices, my decisions, they're, they're not as extreme as Dutch's. They're, they're not as extreme as the people of Jerusalem. Esau fought the same thing. He lost his birthright over a bowl of soup. We can't afford to treat our relationship with God casually. How many of us know stories of others who have lost a lot? Because they had convinced themselves God would forgive them. God would overlook their sinfulness. In my first youth ministry, Susan and I were very close to another couple who were volunteers in our youth ministry. And God had called Dave to the ministry. Uh, Dave was uh, uh, called to a a very successful church in uh, Southern California. Uh, Dave had a beautiful wife and two beautiful children. He was very successful in his youth ministry. But Dave had a, a secret sin. He was addicted to pornography. And nobody knew it. He lived his life in isolation. You would look at... You would, you would spend time with Dave. You would watch his family and you never would you, could you imagine that he was living this kind of lifestyle? Dave lost his ministry. Dave lost his family. I have no idea where Dave is today. Maybe you're caught up in alcohol. Maybe you're caught up in prescription medication. I, I don't know what you've convinced yourself that it's okay. You know, I have this relationship with God and God's going to cover my sin. That is a root of bitterness that Moses says you need to be aware of. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you just have a tendency of of blowing up and leaving a wake of devastation uh, behind you, emotional devastation because you can't control your temper. You can lose everything. 
there. I love what Johnny Hunt shared uh, yesterday with the men. I hadn't heard this before, but maybe you're here this morning and, you know, nobody knows what you know. And you're doing, you're doing a fine job at covering up, covering it up. Well, Johnny Hunt said this, what you cover up, God will uncover. But what you uncover, God will cover. Whatever you're trying to cover up, just know that your sin is going to find you out, God says. But if you choose to step into the light, become real, become transparent, become vulnerable, cry out for mercy, find some connectedness with other brothers or sisters in Christ who can walk with you, God will cover that sin. God's love covers a multitude of sin. And so what I want to encourage you this morning is don't gamble with the people who matter most in your life. That's what was happening with the people of Jerusalem in the land of Judah. They were presuming upon God's grace, upon God's patience. You know, nothing's happening to us. I'm just going to go ahead and continue this kind of lifestyle, not knowing that it was God's kindness that was wanting to lead them to repentance. Friend, take God seriously. And if you're in trouble right now, Just know that there is a God of mercy and love and forgiveness. And if you just say, God, he's going to pick you up in his arms. He's going to restore. He's going to redeem. Look at. Lamentations chapter 4, verse 22. And with this I close. The last part of verse 22. Or first part. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. And he will keep you in exile no longer. You don't have to live, continue to live in exile. You don't have to continue to live in bondage. But you do must, you must repent. And God will replace what the locusts have eaten away in your life. That's our God. May you know him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the great hope, the only hope that is found in you. God, you've heard the, the words that we have tried to convince ourselves with that we're invincible. That God, you will forgive. That God, you overlook. And we continue to get away with things and you continue to be uh, patient, long-suffering. And God, we just trample your grace. May we not live this way any longer. May we choose to step into your light. God, I pray for the man 
who struggles with an addiction. For the woman that struggles with an addiction. God, may they not hide any longer. May they cry out for mercy. Friend, whatever sin I'm describing this morning, would you just cry out for mercy in the quietness of this moment? How have you gambled away the lives that matter most in your life? Would you make decisions this morning to restore those relationships? As you trust God to free you from the bondage of your sin, you don't have to live in bondage anymore. But you do have to get right with God. God, I thank you for your amazing grace. And we all have stories of your grace, God. Forgive us where we have trampled that grace. God, help us to be vigilant in pursuing righteousness daily and not taking your grace for granted. God, may people see Jesus in us. May we be a testimony of who you want to be, not only in our life, but, Father, in the life of others as we live our life in obedience to you. God, bless this time of invitation. We give it to you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.